Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. mini-series on Sacred City Vision Drip called Building a Godly Home. This is episode three, and just to sort of retrace where we've been already, uh, we kicked off this mini-series um, talking about a vision for a godly home, kind of dismantling some misconceptions about what that means. Um, the next week, we got into talking about the foundation for a godly home, uh, which I suggested is the Word of God being the foundation of a godly home. And I, what I, di- I failed to do was to anticipate um, a little bit of pushback with that. And, and I, I failed to provide some clarification here because you would think, uh, and I hear some some people maybe saying this in, in their mind, well, shouldn't God be the foundation for a godly home? After all, it is, you know, in the title of it. And uh, yes, that is that is right. Um, God is the foundation. But here's here's why I went to Scripture. Um, God is not a, uh, a creation of our own imagination. God is not a, a subjective um, being that sort of morphs with our feelings or our... Um, presuppositions about who he is. God is who he is. In fact, that's how he in- introduces himself to Moses at the b- burning bush. He says, I am who I am. God is um, God is absolute. And God not only reveals himself to us through creation, where we can look out at the Grand Canyon or go to the ocean and say, wow, um, God or something made this. this. This didn't just happen. Um, something, some creator, some power, um, worked to create something um, massive. I mean, you go beyond our own planet. You go into the cosmos. You see um, our our galaxy and, and to the, the far-reaching ends of the universe. And um, you see all this and say it had to have been some, some creator, um, some spectacular creator. And so we look at creation, and we can get kind of keyed into some of those things um, about what God is like. He's creative. He's powerful. Um, but the place where God actually reveals himself to us in a more concise way that includes all of those things. In fact, one of the things that scripture from the jump testifies to is that God is the creator. And, and with that, he has got um, several um, unique attributes, um, which Paul even mentions in, in Romans, um, the beginning of Romans. Um, but scripture is where we find out who God is and what he's like. It is where God has disclosed himself uh, to humanity. He, he's telling us about his character. He's telling us about his works. Um, basically, the activity that he he um, he gives himself to based upon his own character, his own um, his own essence. Um, and that's where we we say, all right, the word of God is the foundation because the word of God is what reveals this creator, this redeemer, 
um, the, the Yahweh to us. And so um, that's, that's where we're coming from when we say the Word of God is the foundation. Now, with that is, yeah, God is the foundation. Ultimately, it all revolves around God, but it is Scripture that discloses, that reveals God's character and likeness um, to us. Now, I want to build on today, if we, we're talking about the Scripture as a foundation, what I want to talk about now is what is the center of the home. What is, like, if you think about it in terms of um, our solar system, the sun sits at the center of our solar system. Everything revolves around it. Everything in our solar system um, exists in relationship to the sun. And so when we're asking what is the center of the um, godly home, the center of the godly home, I want to suggest, is the gospel. Or you can say this way, the center of a godly home is Jesus. Um, the, the life, the death, the resurrection, um, the works of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us um, in, his, uh, in his living, his dying, and his raising. Now, just like the divine attributes of God, which are expressed through Scripture, we also have the gospel message, which is expressed to us through Scripture. You cannot find the gospel apart from the Word of God. And so, again, it goes back to the Word of God, but the central theme, the central message of all of Scripture, Jesus says this, that all of the prophets, all of the law points forward to him. It's revealing, it's it's pointing to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on behalf of sinners. And this is what Paul testifies to of being first importance in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, it is that Jesus had come to the world according to the prophets, according to the scriptures, um, that he lived life, he died according to the scriptures, and he was raised again. This is the message of the gospel. Now, why did this happen? Jesus did this. All of this stuff unfolded in Jesus' life in order to redeem sinners back to God. Those who had fallen, um, our, our first father, Adam, had failed. He broke God's covenant. Um, he walked away from God, rebellion, and Jesus brings us back and connects us to God. And the Apostle Paul says, and this is the message that I've had. It's been given to me. It's been it's been given to me to give to other people. Um, I'm here to make the gospel known, and this gospel message is that Jesus Christ saves sinners. He says, of whom I am the foremost. And so the message of the gospel has to be central to our, uh, in our home. It's, it's basically everything like a solar system, everything, the sun is at the center of our solar system. Everything exists in relation to the, in relationship to that. Therefore, everything in our home has to exist in relationship to the work of Jesus, the, the, what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. Um, and so that's kind of what it means to have a gospel centered home. It's just everything connects back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It all connects to the gospel. Now, one of the tendencies that's happened in evangelicalism is to take a phrase like that. It's a good phrase. It's a helpful phrase um, to say gospel centered. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the center of our, our solar system, center of our life. Um, to take that and basically uh, over apply that to different things, so much so that the point where um, that phrase kind of loses its meaning, and it's terribly unfortunate because it's a good phrase, it's a helpful, helpful thing, um, and so we need to avoid the tendency that that um, evangelicalism has to take a word and just slap it on something that we do, not really changing the uh, the approach to the things that we do, not really even evaluating the things that we do through the lens of the gospel, but just slapping a title on and saying, well, now we're doing gospel-centered fitness, or now we're doing gospel-centered um, culinary stuff. Um, and we just slap a title. And so it's easy, be easy for us to just 
take that phrase and slap it on to what we're doing already in the home and say, oh, yeah, well, what we're doing, we're, we're building a gospel-centered home. Now, I want us to avoid that, and instead I want to take that that gospel-centered, the essence of that phrase, and, and kind of um, excavate the real meaning of that and see how everything is meant to be in relationship to Jesus and in relationship to the gospel. Um, and, and this is really the work of, of the Apostle Paul through the epistles, how everything connects back to Jesus. So as he does that with all of life, we need to do that um, when we're building a Christian household. Um, we need to do that with every aspect of our household, um, the way that we eat, the way that we um, do relationships, the way that we study the Bible together, the way that we um, uh, obey the Word of God. All these things have to come back in relationship. If you're a parent, how you discipline, um, how you instruct, all of these things come back to um, the gospel. And so it's it's really essential for us if, when building a godly home is, is to understand that everything must be connected back to um, the gospel. Now, in order to have a gospel home, what's going to determine if you have built yourself a gospel home? And when I say that, it's like, yes, you're working towards this, but it's God who's, when Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, God brought the growth. We're, we're, we're assuming that sort of paradigm where there's the work of the individuals, there's the work, the, the uh, use of agency to give ourselves to something, but also relying on uh, the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and ultimately God to bring... Um, bring the growth and to bring a certain kind of thing into fruition um, as we petition him in prayer and and work toward that um, our own. And um, the thing that will determine if you have a gospel-centered home, uh, this might sound paradoxical, but it will be how you relate to the law. Um, The way that you use the law in your household, the law of God specifically, not the law of the land, um, but the, the word of God, the law of God that is revealed to us through scriptures will determine whether or not you have built a gospel-centered household. Now, Jesus summarizes the law for us, and, and um, there are like 600-some commandments in the Old Testament that are given um, that are broken up into three categories. There's the moral law that pertains to how how we um, exist individually in the world. It has to do with our conduct, with virtue, things of that nature. Um, you have the civil law of how we are to interact with um, within a society, how, how um, some of basically guardrails for our society keep us on track, to keep us from, from falling apart. So there's civil um, laws, and then there are ceremonial laws that pertain to specifically the temple um, with sacrifices and festivals and things of that nature. And so there are those three different categories of the law. And Jesus says the summary of the law, to sum it up in this, the, the, the sum of the law is communicated in Matthew 23 when he says, um, it is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He gives us in this short little synopsis, the summary of all of the law, which comes back to these two things. It's um, at the bedrock of it. It's about love, to love God, um, but it's also to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And so all of the other laws, all those other 600 and some laws fold into these two laws of loving God and loving neighbor. In fact, the Ten Commandments can be split up. Um, Commandments 1 through 4 have to do with what it looks like to love God. And then Commandments 5 through 10 have to do with what it looks like to love neighbor. So even right there in the Ten Commandments, we see this the division of loving God um, and loving neighbor. And so for to be a gospel-centered house, um, we have to live um, how we use the law will determine if we are in fact gospel-centered or not. And as, as we put out the law, 
there are two ditches that we can fall into that are on the opposite sides of the road, right? If you're, if you're driving down the interstate, you've got a ditch on the right-hand side, you've got a ditch on the left-hand side. If you're not paying attention, uh, you can easily go into one or the other. Now, on one side of the road, um, as we relate to the law, and this is mistakes that we li- make when we're, when we're relating to the law, um, is the first is, is legalism. Um, you see this with the Pharisees. They have this legalistic mindset where they are more concerned with keeping the letter of the law than they are with the spirit of the law. Um, so here they are tithing from their spice racks. Um, they're doing all this super, you know, oh, we're keeping everything down to the molecule. Um, but they have neglected other more important, m- other more pressing matters um, that do deal with true spirituality, with having to do with having a relationship with God. And so they've reduced it to basically performance. They've reduced it to um, sort of this transactional, I do this, then I get this back from God. Um, And so legalism is a way that we can take the law and elevate it to a place where it is not meant to occupy in our life. And um, and here's what happens. Um, one of two things. If, if you go into legalism, you'll either, one, get burned out by the law. You'll find how incapable you are at keeping the law, and you'll say, screw it. <laughs> I'm just not going to mess with it. And then you'll go into this other one that I'm going to talk about here. You'll go to the other ditch that we'll talk about here in a second. Or... Um, and in that you feel like a failure, in that you feel like uh, you're a hopeless person, that there's no way that you could, there's no way to keep up your end of the deal with God. Um, and so you you move toward despair. And the other side of it is um, you, you get legalistic and you get puffed up. You get proud about, well, yeah, I look at how pious I am. Look at all the things that I do for God. And and I keep, I keep the letter of the law and I do all this stuff. Um, and so it puffs up and it keeps us um, for, well, it, it definitely, as you're puffed up, if you're puffed up, you can't stay low to the ground, you can't be humble. Um, and so that humility is one of the virtues of, of a Christian home, that, uh, of just a Christian in general, um, that is antithetical. So legalism is not the way that we, we do not elevate the law to a point where um, our identity, our, our righteousness is founded upon how we do it. And, and if you're going to get into the pride-based thing, um, you're missing the law. You don't understand the law. You don't understand, you don't have a high enough view of the of God's law in order to be a good legalist. So um, God's law requires a higher view. The other side of the ditch or the other side of the road, the other ditch that you can go into is called antinomianism. Antinomianism. It is where you say, well, there are no rules. We're under grace. There's no need to follow all these things that God laid out. That was good for back in the day. Um, but now we're in a new age. Now there's a new time. Um, now there's no rules. The law is is dead. And this is this is straight up a unbiblical idea. But it is it, there. There's just a sliver to it that that makes somebody think, okay, well, yeah, there 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 might be something to this. Just that little sliver, that little little. I don't even want to call it a half truth. It's like a it's like a tenth truth. Um, where when when um, when Jesus says that he's he's come to fulfill the law, he fulfilled the law, um, and so they say, well, because Jesus fulfilled, fulfilled the law, um, we don't have to relate to the law um, like pr- people previously had to, um, and the Apostle Paul critiques this in Romans chapter 6, and he says, um, you know, uh, being under grace, so that the gospel of grace that Jesus performed for us, that he kept the law perfectly for us, um, so who we who were unrighteous could be made righteous by God's, by Jesus' own righteousness. His perfect life is credited to us. 
Now, that's what grace is. It, it's, it's God's gift to us, not by our own doing, but by Christ's work. And then so to, to uh, occupy that space means, well, then I'm not responsible for anything. That's, that's the anti, antinomianism world is I'm not responsible to do anything. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 that's not true at all. That is absolutely untrue. He says in Romans chapter 6, in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we, should we just keep doing the sinny stuff that we were doing before? Um, because we, after all, we're under grace. And he says, by no means. By no means. Don't, absolutely not. We do not uh, reject. We don't just keep doing things the way that we thought are right or the way that we were doing before we came to Christ to live into sin. He says, by no means. And again, he says the same thing. You go uh, a few verses later in verse 15 of chapter 6 of Romans. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under the gr- under grace, right? Because he's that's what the, the whole, he's, he's testifying that under, like when we're under Christ, we are under grace. And again, are we, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace. He says, by no means. And this is taking us back to Matthew 5 um, verses 17 through 20 where Jesus comes and he says, I have come uh, not to abolish the law. I've come not to put the law away, not to reduce the law but to fulfill the law, not one jot or tittle. That's that's some of the uh, New King or the King James Version stuff. Not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until it is fulfilled. Well, and then you go back, and, and this is where some of this antinomianism stuff is. So, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. But what he's saying is there, there are aspects of the law. So specifically talking about of the law that's been fulfilled is by the ceremonial law regarding sacrifices, um, the temple usage, and all of those things. That ceremonial law has been fulfilled, and therefore Christians are no longer on, underneath that law of engaging with God in the ceremonial way because now we have Jesus, who's our great high priest. We have Jesus, who's our sacrificial lamb, um, and this once and for all sacrifice. So the, the necessity of maintaining and keeping that ceremonial law has been fulfilled filled, but the, the, the jot or tittle that will not pass away, um, and it's still, that doesn't pass away, it just means it's been fulfilled, um, the, when it comes back to the moral law and then to the civil law. So the moral law still stands as it is. The Ten Commandments, what we're commanded to do, um, as far as moral you know, things uh, the Lord tells us to do, still stand and will stand. Uh, the word of the Lord will not pass away. Um, it will stand. And then and then as we move into civil law, there's some aspects of civil law that the application of it changes, but the principle beneath the civil law still changes. So, for example, um, there, there's a law about building a parapet. A parapet is like a, a railing to go around your deck. So he said, like, when you build a house, make sure you um, build a parapet so that way um, God's wrath won't be against you, that if somebody falls off. So basically this concept is... Um, build, think about safety, you know, think, think about, um, loving your neighbor in the sense of if I'm going to have you up on my balcony and we're having a good old time, I'm going to make it okay. Or I'm going to make it safe. So, uh, you don't fall off the roof. That is, that is something that we still do today. We put up railings to help people go upstairs. We put up railings around our decks. We put up, uh, you know, on our balconies, um, it's a principle that still exists. It's part of loving your neighbor that still stands, um, although th- there's a little bit of, of a differentiation of how that actually works itself out in this day and age. So the moral law, the civil law, they still stand, um, uh, and, and so we can't just toss out the way the law. So that's the antinomianism way of we just do away with the law, but the way that we are in- to interact with the law um, as Christians, um, in order to build a godly home, is that we must use the law 
properly. We must utilize the law and see um, its proper usage. So what does the law do? Uh, and, and there's been various ways that this has been communicated. This is my little, um, a lot of the same stuff that you see from the reformers. You can even look this up from R.C. Sproul. Talks about the three uses of the law. I agree with this. I'm just going to package them a little bit different here um, to help us seek. So um, if for us to build a godly home, we need to use the law properly. And, and we need to, u- to use the law properly. We need to know what it's for. It's like I can't use a screwdriver um, uh, a, a screwdriver is not a uh, proper uh, a proper usage for a screwdriver is not to dig trenches. It's not going to work out well. Okay, so we have to u- figure out the right way to use the law. So the first usage of the law is that the law teaches us the standard. Um, it, it's like a ruler. It shows us. Um, so the standard tells us. It shows. It reveals to us what righteousness is. It it reflects the righteousness of God, and it tells us what the standard is, what his creation was meant to live into. It gives us this standard, this ruler, that teaches us us what is pleasing to God, what is life the way that is meant to be lived. And and in this, it it does two things. It it restrains evil, so it um, the law is like a ruler that curbs wickedness in the sense that this is what you're called to live up to. Um, And if you fail to do that, there's there's, a wrath that waits for us. There, there's, there is uh, consequences to failure that must be de- dealt with. Um, and so it, it restrains evil in the sense that, okay, this is what you're called into, or this is what you aspire to. And then also on um, the other side of that coin is to promote good, um, to show to show what life is meant to be, to, to lead us into the good life, what humanity was intended to be. In Matthew 19, verse 17, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus um, and he says, Jesus, you know, what must I do to get the kingdom of heaven? I've done all this stuff. And Jesus says this to him. He's like, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And so here it is, the standard, the ruler. If you want to have life, if you want to have the good life, you have to keep the commandments. This shows us what righteousness is. Is now the second use of the law, as it shows us what righteousness looks like. The second use of the law is to show us how we have failed the standard. Um, it, it functions like a mirror. As we look into the mirror, it shines itself back at us, and it shows where we are um, inadequate. Um, and and the Heidelberg Catechism talks about this about understanding our misery. Um, the question and answer number five says, "How do you come to know your misery?" Like, how do you come to see yourself as you are, as this fallen creature, this this broken creature? Um, the answer is the law of God tells me. Now, don't don't get this twisted and say, well, it's the law of God that makes us miserable. Paul even talks about this, uh, about it's not the law that made him wretched, but it was the awareness of the law, coming to know the law rightly, that exposed him and some of the misery that he was already living in. It, it, the, the misery pre-exists the awareness of the law of God. And so the the... The law of God functions as a mirror to shine, uh, uh, to, to reveal to us how we have failed to hold the standard. And this is in two parts also. Um, the sins of um, commission, so the, the sins that we actively partake in that are, are violations of God's commandments. So if God says, don't commit adultery, well, going to pornography, looking, uh, looking lustfully at a woman as Jesus ups the ante on what adultery is, um, that would be a sin of 
commission. I am acting, I'm doing something that is prohibited by God. Um, And then the other side are sins of omission, things that we are commanded to do that are good things that we fail to do. So to walk humbly. Well, I was prideful. Um, Not only am I actively engaged in pride, and that's a sin, but I am failing to be humble, therefore that's a sin of omission. Um, Or or to be tenderhearted um, towards our brothers and sisters, that is a that is a sin of omission. If you are are rough and rowdy, um, and, and um, being I mean, in, in in addition to other sins that you're probably doing in commission, but um, there you just not enough to be neutral, um, to be you know to kind of hold the line of like at least I didn't offend anybody today. Well, the law of God calls us to take proactive measures, to take positive measures, um, and to well going back to love God and to love neighbor. And so with that, there are certain commands of what it looks like to love your neighbor. And so this this mirror gets held up to us and shows us our sins of commission, our sins of omission. And Augustine wrote, um, the law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered, so he's, he's talking about the standard, and so feeling our weakness under the law may learn to implore the help of grace. Now, this is what the mirror is for. As we see ourselves, our brokenness, it exposes our need for a Savior. Like like what he said is, is that we would implore the help of grace, that we would turn to Jesus and find for us uh, the perfect substitute, the one who held the uh, perfectly fulfilled the law uh, on our behalf, that we could lay into lay hold of his righteousness that he credits to us as he takes our righteousness away from us and is na- nails that to the cross. And so... Um, the mirror functions, it sort of reveals our own sin, but also our need for a savior. And then that pushes us into uh, the gospel. It, it Then this is where it, it, it demands that there be a solution to the problem, a solution to our failures that we have as we live um, in relationship to the law. And this is where we get to the gospel-centered stuff here, um, that all of our life um, connects to Jesus. We don't just cry out to, to Jesus um, to help us uh, get into heaven, which is what we need, but we call out for Jesus. We cry out for Jesus for help in the daily stuff of life with our parenting, our work life, um, with dealing with our neighbors, living on mission, all of the things and everything that's included in that, things with our health, our, our, um, our finances, our technology usage, all of those things connect back um, to Jesus and, and, and how we um, relate to the law. And and with that, we um, not just, not only do we repent once to get into the kingdom of heaven, but it, we are set out on this lifetime journey of repentance and faith. It's what Luther says is, is the sum of the Christian life is that of repentance and faith. There's never a time where we stop repenting, where we stop putting our trust in Jesus. It is the, uh, it's what we need at all times. And so we live then, um, not defined by our ability to keep the law, but by Jesus's ability to keep the law for us. And so it's the grace of Jesus that redeems us uh, from the pit of hell. It's the grace of Jesus that brings us into uh, the kingdom of heaven. It's the grace of Jesus that gives us a new identity. That It says you were once orphans of wrath, and now you are uh, adopted children and beloved children of God Almighty. Um, it is the grace of Jesus that sustains us. And so it's not just a um, you know, it's not like a one-time uh, dose of grace that that sets me on my way for the rest of my life. I keep going back to this grace day by day, being renewed by the grace of Jesus. It's grace upon grace upon grace, and it's by the grace of God uh, that He keeps us as His own. And so, all of what we do um, goes back to Jesus's ability to keep the law for us, to be our Savior, to be our substitute. And this is what it means for us to go back to 
the gospel. The spotlight is always on Jesus. If you're going to have a a gospel-centered home, it means that Jesus is the hero. And if Jesus is the hero, you're going to pray to him. You're going to want to commune with him. You're going, and in that, you you lay hold of, um, well, it's communion with Jesus. You you uh, develop intimacy with Jesus through prayer and scripture reading. Um, you're going to praise Jesus with song and worship, right? That, that just becomes a natural response when we live a gospel-centered life, that we become worshipers. Um, we, we live our whole life as worship to Jesus because he has redeemed us. He has been the, he's the hero of our stories. And so that's, that's tying into what it means to be a gospel-centered home. It all connects to Jesus. And then the third use of the law, um, once we've experienced the grace of Jesus, it actually shows us, it doesn't say, okay, um, the law's been fulfilled, so don't have to worry about it, but, but it now picks us back up after we've been justified by the work of Christ. It shows us what it looks like to live in honor of Jesus, that we would honor God. Um, and, and this is what R.C. Sproul says. He says, this is the highest function of the law to serve as an instrument for the people of God, to give him honor and glory. So what this is saying is the the law shows us what it looks like to worship God. The law tells us what it looks like to love God, to honor God um, with our our heart, our minds, our soul, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so the law is helpful in, in showing us, now this is what you live into. Now we can't do it perfectly, which is why we need to go back to the grace of Jesus day in and day out. Every time, whether sin of commission or sin of omission, we're going to, we're going to fail, but we keep striving, um, and this is the process of sanctification, of, of striving after Christ's likeness, of imitating him, or as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that we follow in Jesus's steps. And this is what Jesus says, that if you love me, and he's tying this, if you love God, you will keep my commands. Just John 14, 15. And even John, John talks about that even later on in, in some of his shorter epistles. First uh, John um, talks about the, the, our love for God is expressed by how we obey the commandments, not out of a sense of, of having to justify ourselves or make ourselves right before God, but as an expression of worship to God because we have been justified by Christ. So this gives us, uh, as Christians, to be a gospel-centered home, this, this is the template for how we interact with the Lord of God. It's a standard. Um, it's a mirror. It reveals our need for Jesus, but then it also shows us what it looks like to strive toward Christ's likeness. And so this is what our, our households have to be determined by or have to be influenced by those three aspects. So what does this look like? First of all, um, if you're a gospel-centered home, you have to teach the law of God. You have to teach your kids and start with um, the, the 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 fifth commandment to um, or wait for fifth commandment um, to children o- obey your parents, honor your parents, um, and and if you do so, it'll go go well for you. Live long in the land. Um, it's the first commandment with a promise. The apostle Paul says. Um, so we start with that, and then we start teaching them other things, like how do you interact with your siblings? How, um, what does it look like to honor your parents? Or what kind of obedience um, does it look like? What, what shape of obedience uh, is taken when you are honoring your parents? We need to teach our children um, the law of the Lord, what it is, what is the te- the standard, the template um, th- that we are called to um, acknowledge as the way of life for all disciples of Jesus. Um, and in that, it teaches us how to restrain evil. It teaches us how to promote what is good. And then, 
eventually, I mean, it won't take long, but they're going to fail. They, they get, they get selfish. They get greedy. Um, they smack their sibling. They disobey. The, the, the law is going to show us how we, how they have, especially speaking of kids. And this not, not only goes with kids, but how we interact with our spouses, um, to, to know the law, um, and then to see when we've failed, um, to fail to God and to fail, you know, fail the standard of God and then fail one another, how we sin against not only God, but a sin against each other. And the, the law is held up as a standard for us. And that, that points us to our need for Jesus. And so, um, in the Christian household, we don't withhold Jesus from one another. We don't, there's no penance of, well, once you show how sorry you are, then I'll forgive you or, or then I'll, I'll give you grace. That, that totally, that is a, uh, that, that, that mentality is, is the opposite of what grace is. Grace is undeserved. Grace is unmerited. And so in the family, we, we pour out, we lavish the same kind of grace that God has lavished upon us. Um, we do that to one another. And so as the, the, reality that we need a savior is revealed to us through the scripture being a mirror and the law of God being a mirror, then we point each other to Jesus. And this is, this is what it means to be gospel centered. Everything goes back to Jesus. I've said this like six times already. Um, but here's how it is. Um, Jesus has justified you. Jesus is keeping you. Jesus is redeeming you. He's re-identifying you, new identity. He's sustaining you. He's keeping you. It's going back to Jesus and his work, his life, his His death, his resurrection, and even, even what he's doing right now as he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. It goes back to Jesus's work. It all revolves uh, around that. And then we call our kids up. We call our spouse up to live accordingly to um, to to love God by obeying Him and showing what's that what that's like. And so again, going back to that expression of love, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And understanding to love God, to love others, to love your neighbor, um, and and we start out by loving God by by deepening our communion with Jesus through prayer and Scripture, um, our, our praise for Jesus and song and worship, and then we're we're talking about like what it looks like to obey. God through character and virtue, what it looks like to emulate, to, 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 to imitate Jesus um, in sort of how he carried himself, his, um, his morals, his ethics, his, his virtues, um, and wanting to see those things built up in our life, that we would be virtuous people. Um, and then with that, we would make Jesus known through our good work, through our service and through mission. Um, this is what it looks like uh, to keep the law of God. We're commanded to do those things. We're commanded to go do work. So we actually have been saved for the good works that God had prepared beforehand that we would live into them. We've been uh, saved and redeemed. The gospel uh, transforms us because Christ has served us, um, that he, he laid his life down. He came as a servant for all, that we would emulate him as a servant, that we would serve in the name of Jesus, and that we would make Jesus known as we live in mission and both to unbelievers and believers, um, pointing to the gospel, the good news, the message of hope and redemption that is found in Christ. And so, so we live into those commandments that God has given us. And this is how uh, a godly home interacts with the law of God. Um, this is how this will determine the way that you relate to the law of God will determine if you are a gospel-centered home or not. If, if you rely on your own works it's not gospel-centered. If you do away with the law of God, it's not gospel-centered. It has to have this reality that the law of God is a standard, it's the mirror, and then it shows us what it looks like to love rightly. 
And so these things will be held up. The law of God will be held up in the home if we're going to build a godly home. So it's important to know what it is God commands. It's important to, to be people of the word because, again, the, the law of God is communicated um, through the word of God. Um, and then the gospel is communicated through the Word of God. And you can say this, that the Word of God is broken up into, into those two categories. There's the law of God of what we ought to do, what we're commanded to do, and the gospel of God, which is what God has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. And to be a gospel-centered home, you have to have both. To have gospel preaching, you have to have both of those things. And so as we set out to build godly homes, we have to hold up the law of God. We have to point to Jesus when the law of God um, is failed. And then we have to encourage our kids, our spouses, anybody else who's in sort of in, inside of that, that household's um, sphere uh, to walk in the ways of the Lord. And this sets us off. This is here how um, a, a godly home is a gospel-centered home. I'm looking forward to building out this a little bit further in the coming weeks as we talk more about a um, gospel marriage and uh, gospel parenting and some of the dynamics um, that are, are sort of uh, embedded in that, what it actually looks like to love God um, and to honor God as the Word of God tells us to do so. And so stick with us. I'll be back here next week with the next episode of Building a Godly Household.